Blog Talk Radio. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis! And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Reese! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. Again, this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it's another week of American Tennis. And uh, we're very lucky today. Um, in a few minutes, we'll have Coach J.P. Weber calling in. And the program today is the rites of passage in tennis. And, uh, folks, we uh, got lots to cover in tennis, being the springtime and a lot of tournaments out there, college tennis in full swing. Uh, gosh, all the tournaments, uh, some are getting heated up here in a – month or two, but the the bottom line on the thing is the very essence of our game and the very thing that makes our game special is uh, is really and absolutely, as I've said so many times, our scoring system. And our scoring system is under assault. We know that. Everybody knows that. Um, we have so many things that I've discussed before on the program that really have just uh, disrupted our game and the flow, uh, but I want to I want to I want to just start out our program here with a, with a little piece here that I've I've read and and this is really explains it all, you know. And and this is this is what I think Coach Weber is going to talk about, and then we'll do a commercial hopefully before he comes on. But for 144 years, the constant barometer, the barometer for marking levels of playing abilities have been determined by rites of passage to new levels and the measuring of every competitor's achievement. It's, it, 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 and the point is, is it has been accurate, it has been consistent, and it is the scoring system for tennis. It does not let a player go forward until their ability to do certain things with their game, but it's not just the physical part of their game, but it more, this has been the chess of tennis, not the checkers of tennis. It has been the chess of of tennis. Uh, Traditional scoring, traditional scoring has done this 
But as we know, it's under assault. And I call it assault before I've called it tennis treason. And, and folks, I've started the American Tennis Patriots. And uh, there's so many things that we just have not taken into consideration and we have not fought hard enough to, and each and every one of us, not just the coaches, not just parents, not just players, all of us, all of us should be outraged. All of us should be outraged. All of us should be taking note about what the assault is on our tennis game. And, folks, it, it's, um, we, if we don't do something, the damage will be too severe, and it might not be something that we can uh, – we, we can change. Um, rites of passage, what are the rites of passage? The rites of passage are those normal things that we all have to do from when we pass from adolescence into young adulthood. Uh, rite of passage are ceremonial things like weddings. Rites of passage, a funeral. Why, have you ever wondered why we have funerals? We have funerals for the living. It's not for the dead, but there's a rite of passage to move on to uh, something else, to to a different to a different life without our loved one, but rites of passage are there. They're critical. Graduations are critical. Um, the rites of passage where I work, I work at a military school, the Citadel. Fantastic, fantastic place. But the most important thing that I tell people is that there are no participation trophies at all at this place. The rites of passage only come through time are through merit. Those are the critical, critical things, time and merit. Folks, they, if you want your youngster to be good at something that they do, schoolwork, their sports, their music, their art, everything needs a rite of passage before it makes any sense at all as far as something being an area of achievement. Now, if it's an after-school activity, if it is a fun time event that you do on weekends, if it's something you do on a picnic holiday and all that participation stuff, and that's fine. But we're talking about tennis and the importance of the rites of passage if a person's going to go forward. So we will be right back, and hopefully Coach J.P. Weber will be with us this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and this is American Tennis. Coach J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. In my 30 years' experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis, and over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at ChuckCreasy.net. That's ChuckCreasy.net. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and yeah, folks, this, if you'll go to ChuckCreasy.net, you'll pick up on many, many things. The, the biggest thing, folks, is that we are the only place, and I am the – folks, 
I am the only guy out there that's teaching momentum control for sports, for your businesses, for your tennis. Momentum control is the most important skill set that a youngster, at an adult, that anyone can learn about their lives. The ups and the downs and the kick-arounds and all the things that happen in sports and life, they can't be controlled. They never will be able to, folks. But if you understand the principles of momentum control, you can see what's coming around the corner, and you will have a solution to what happens with your reaction and your feelings as they go up and down as well. You sort of know how to control it. Nobody can completely control but we know how to give you the tools. Momentum Control, go to chuckcreasy.net and learn much more about it. Challenging the USTA, the ITA, and all you folks out there, first of all, your first job should be to protect the history and the heritage of this wonderful game of tennis. That's your first job. And if you know, sorry, there's going to be ebbs and flows as far as the amount of people involved over the years, but it's been around 145 years now. And, and guess what? Your job is to protect the history and the heritage. We're going to do that with the American Tennis Patriots, folks, that we've, we've got uh, now. And if you're interested in being an American Tennis Patriot, go to chuckcreasy at gmail.com, and I can sign you up. We'll have a talk, and, and uh, we'll, we'll get after it. And, and uh, that's our job with the American Tennis Patriots. Folks, part of the whole thing about learning, and I am an educator before I'm an entertainer. I've been 47 years teaching this sport and I'm an educator before I'm an entertainer. So, yeah, the entertainment value is good if we can do it. But absolutely, I look at what happens to a young, a young lady or a young, uh, young man that gets involved in tennis and they fall in love with it and all of the life lessons that they learn. And uh, people, I think, think, believe that you can learn life lessons just by sort of grave touching the edge and by sort of bumping into it now and then, but that doesn't happen. It, life lessons only happen when people are engaged with their heart and with their soul into something. 
And uh, it's a very, very, uh, it's a very, very much of a, uh, it's a very mature outlook that an athlete or a student or a youngster has when they can say, you know, actually I'm working for mastery in what I'm going after. I'm not working for success. And I, I always preach to uh, uh, young people that if you work for mastery, you will have success. Now, what level? It just depends on many, many things. But if you go after success first, you're, you are going after something that, that changes. It, the goals always change. And uh, it will leave you high and dry in the end because all successes today become uh, just memories later, become afterthoughts sometime. Uh, I told uh, one of my friends recently, I want to stay in the education business as long as I can. I said the people who are in this tennis business and do not work for mastery and only go after success when they get my age, it's very, very sad to see them because they look like burnout rock stars trying to look for the next gig. You know, you're past your prime. It's past some. You're, you're, the, you're, you have prime 15 years maybe where you look like you're going to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, on the billboards or whatever you think. But the bottom line is, after those days are over, it's very, very sad to see an old person still trying to uh, look for that uh, next gig. Mastery, not success, is, is the first thing, and that's a very mature way of looking at things. Now, if you have something like uh, our beautiful, beautiful scoring system of tennis and the, the way that it is set up, um, you go forward, and unless you achieve mastery first, you will not have success. So you don't get the wins until you learn the game and you develop the skills. It, it is a wonderful barometer for 145 years to measure that. But you parents out there need to understand that your child might win every tournament in sight, but if they don't learn the mastery part of the game and the important parts of the game, it don't matter, folks, because – their successes will blow away when the first storm comes. And all of those le- lessons that should have been learned through working for mastery are not there. With my team, I, let, me, let me say this. I have often worked with the guys on my team talking to them about there is a uh, – it's not what happens to you. It's what happens in you. Mastery comes from those things that happens inside of you not the things that happen to you. So I talk to them about there's four scenarios. There are good goods, good bads, bad goods are bad bads. This is taken off of the old Joe Hari window from psychology 101 in 70. I had that class, but old psychology 101, and uh, my teacher was in psychology. I think Miss Judy Rohr was uh, – the teacher in psychology 101, and I still remember the, um, you know, the lessons of uh, working for uh, something. And the, the, the old Johari window was this. It says, what I know, what I don't know, what others know, what they don't know. In other words, the first box would be what I know and what others do know. And then the second box was sort of what I know, what others don't know. 
that's sort of your character. Your image was what both knows. Your character was sort of what I know and what others don't know. Uh, what others know and I don't know can be, uh, gosh, a good teacher sometimes and things like that. And what both of us don't know is the mystery. So you can use that model and use good goods, good bads, bad goods, and bad bads. So what I do with that is that I, uh, I use that in coaching. I say, guys, sometimes you'll do the very, very best that you can do, and you seek you pay, I hate to say pay homage to the tennis gods. There's no tennis gods, but at the same time, I use the term pay homage to the tennis gods. You've got to do the right thing. You do the right thing on the court. You fight hard. You have good sportsmanship. You call the line fair. You don't back off when it's time to, you don't back up on stuff. You don't play tentative, but you don't check out. Finding the balance between not playing tentative or not checking out, those are two, that's a great balance. And you have to keep that edge right there and the right pressure on yourself the whole time. So stay with me here. So if you do it right and you work for mastery and you get a reward, you get the win, that's a good good. But let's say you do everything right and then you get a loss. Well, that's a good bad. It was bad, but it, it was a good bad. And uh, Coach, just stay with me a second here. I've just finished this part of it. I'm going to bring Coach J.P. Weber on here in about 20 seconds. So there's a good, good, and there's a good, bad. But let's say that you don't work for mastery. You just work for success. You work for success only. You just want the result. And folks, our marketeers are just doing that, I believe. So what you have, it's a bad, good. You might win. A participation trophy is the base, best example. A bad good is when you get a participation trophy. You get something you didn't deserve. You cheated on a test and you got an A. Uh, the lottery sometimes is a bad good. It messes up people's lives. Why? Because you didn't earn it. Bad goods never become good goods or good bads. Bad goods turn to bad bads. You do the wrong thing, you're working for success, and you basically kill the goose that laid the golden egg, or you basically took a shortcut, or in this case, we play these abbreviated scoring systems, and we get, what do we get? We get a trophy, or we get a gold ball, or we get these things, and rah, 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 and we get a bad good, but they become a bad bads, and we end up, tennis does not become a sport for a lifetime. I would like to welcome Coach J.P. Weber on again after a couple weeks here, and uh, folks, uh Last week, I got to tell a quick story, Coach Weber. You're on, you're on the air right now. But, Coach Weber, I was lucky enough to go spend a couple days at this facility uh, a week or so ago. And uh, my friend uh, was with me, one of my coaching friends. I said, and I let, his wife let me go in his office. And I said, I just want you to spend 15, 20 minutes in here and look around this office. There are notebooks from back in the 1980s. There is pictures. There are teaching tools. There are scales of how to get better. There are special rackets and equipment and different things. If there is a better student of the game of tennis, if there's someone who works for mastery better than Coach J.P. Weber, if there is a better, and I don't want to call him a tennis genius. He might get the big head here. But the bottom line, Coach Weber I don't know of anybody that loves the game more than you and understands it better. Welcome, 
to American tennis, and we're talking about your rites of passage in tennis, Coach. Good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm, well, good. I appreciate, I'm good. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you having me on. And <clears throat> you, you, nice words, but there's plenty of people out here who love the sport. There's plenty of people out here who love to play it, to coach it, to, to be a part of it. It's a beautiful sport, and uh, I hope we can uh, save some of it at least. I just saw yesterday where, uh, I don't know if you saw, but Haggerty's on his mission again. He's on, up on his horse again, and he's he's bound to determine he's now going to change Davis Cup. It'll be all done in one week. Oh, my Folks, Coach David Haggerty, Dave Haggerty is the president of the ITF, the International Tennis Federation. It's like uh, global tennis number one, global tennis number one. He probably has a plane he flies around in called global tennis. Uh, and uh, he was the president of the USTA for the last two years, about, no, no, two years ago and three years ago. But before that, Coach Weber, we need to explain that one thing. His position was, do you know, marketing developer for Dunlop and for Prince. Penn. He was in Penn. he was in the commercial was he field. Dunlop he was not Prince in too? coaching. I think for Prince and Dunlop and something else. But Penn. basically he was, he was a mar- marketeer. Marketeer. Go ahead, Coach. He was with Penn, I believe. Penn. Okay. Okay. But he was a marketeer. He was never a coach. Is that correct? Was he a coach? Was he a, you know, I, I, I'd never heard of the guy before he was up in uh, his way up there. So bottom line, he might be the nicest guy in the world, but his background is not as an educator. Is that correct? Coach, are you there? Coach, Coach Weber. Coach Hello. Weber. Guys, you, 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 you didn't want me to interrupt sorry, you. I didn't sorry. want to interrupt you. And go ahead. No, I think no, he's no, with no. Penn. Go ahead, I coach. think he's with Penn. I think he was with Penn. He's with several. But he was part of that group 20, well, was it 15, 20 years ago. People were bemoaning the fact that nobody included at the USTA, at the decision level, level the guys who know the products, the, the industry guys. And I tell you. Right. After adding those guys in, it is it is it has really hurt us ever since, in my opinion. Nobody, there's because, a lot of people don't agree with me on that, but they because, because I think they look, why, they look at they look purely at the bottom line. They look at the uh, they look at the uh, the numbers. <laughs> See what what you know. They, that's how they judge if they've done a good job or not. If the numbers went up, then that's good. The problem is many of the numbers have gone down. But certain numbers they can point to. I was just out here. There's a guy who is a leader in the industry here in the South, resurfacing courts. You know their numbers, all through the ten and under stuff. They they were getting paid seven hundred dollars a court to stripe the lines for ten and under and eight and under lines. And Whoa, all sorts of stuff. So, so explain that so again. Did I hear that? They were getting paid by the USDA <clears throat> to push push, and you know that's I guess that's okay, but. <laughs> Interesting. It was an 80-20 split. I think the, the club paid 80 or 20% and the USTA paid 20. Or no, USPT, the USTA paid 80% and the club itself had to pick up 20% of the bill. 
So you have 10 other lines on your court. They're out there on all. We have them on all of our courts. I'm a big supporter of 10 and under 10. Are you? But, uh, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Wait, what? I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a. I am not a. Uh, let me put it to you this way. I'm not a opponent of it. I. I just think that it shouldn't be mandated. That's my only. I think as if a, you want to add, as a learning, I think it's tool, great. It's very good as a learning tool. Correct. Any. Yeah. I think as, as if people want to do it, I'd say add it. Where I differ is the propping it up and, and leaving it there. You know, because you know it's making some sector of the industry a little bit of money, and that's what's happened. But back, you know, this thing that really bothered me this you know you, I was not around this weekend when you were here and your guys were battling. I was uh, I was down in Macon. I was at the John Drew Smith Tennis Center, and you sit up on the top deck. Nowadays, nowadays, if you get to the last days, my son's getting a little bit better where he can get to the last days of a tournament. But you you go to these tournaments and you see on the last day, a lot of times, you know what you see in terms of the players? Their oh. parents are usually coaches or they played themselves. You don't see the, you know, the people so often that, you know, that aren't, that aren't tennis, but you see a large portion of people there who played themselves. There was a girl there, lady there, who is a wonderful lady. Um, she played at Georgia. Another guy played at Georgia. There were two or three guys that played at Georgia there. There was a guy that played at Wake Forest there. There was a guy that played at North Carolina there. Uh, the Cheatwood guy, that was an amazing athlete. I think it was Jimmy Ch- wasn't Jimmy Chitwood. You know the Chitwood guy that no, played that at North true. Carolina? He was you know who he was. He, you know, he, he David probably Chewood. played you David guys when he was great. David Cheatwood. David Cheatwood. You know what I remember that? Isn't competitor, competitor, competitor. That's exactly right. Oh, he's got, a, he's, got a, he's got a nephew now who's competing. And you see this more and more where it's, it's, it's taken up by this type of people because it's, uh, if you didn't, if you've got to pay for the coaching or you've got to pay for the hitting that's got to be done, it's pretty expensive. But at the same time, while I was there, anyway, the thing that occurred to me is that um, a lot of the changes that they're making, they're making huge wholesale changes to tennis. And I think, I don't know if you remember, I think you and I talked about this a long time ago, Dr. Tim Russell, who took over for the ITA, uh, the Intercollegiate Tennis Association. A doctor. What is stood up, a doctor of music? Yeah. Doctor of music. A doctor of he music. He stood up and yep. he talked about, about uh, the, uh, the, um, the fact that if they change all this stuff, it's okay because they'll just make new things. And I don't think it's that easy. I think that the, the sort of the rites of passage and the things that get passed down, there are people – that were sitting up on the upper deck there at the John Drew Tennis Center that had played that same tournament themselves when they were kids. And, you know, they had had dads that had done it as well. That place has been around a real long time. And the way that tennis was played, one of the guys that was sitting there, he won the 18 and unders. He won it in a three-hour and 40-minute, even some of the officials remembered him. Remembered the match. Who was that? They could Who talk was that? about the match. 
Uh, it was Marinchak. I don't want to. Bobby Marinchak. Bobby Marinchak. Great yeah, I don't, player. I'm trying not to. At, yeah. at, uh, I don't want to mention too many yeah. names. But no, no, but, but he. As uh, long as they're parents, you can mention them. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well. Anyway, he's he's he he played a legendary match out on the on the courts there. But as the kids are sitting there and as the people are watching, a lot of this stuff is sort of part of the rites of passage that we have. That it's part of the it's part of the mythology that goes along with it. But I think it connects. The kids. I think that when you have uh, the stories and you have the, you know, they they see these traditions, they see these myths, if you want to call it that, and rites of passage, whatever you want to do, and it gives them relevance. It it, it, it reminds them of what uh, there could be. I don't know if you see how I'm going with this, but it, the connectivity to it all. It ties everything together. Without it, without these rites of passage, without uh, the stories and the, uh, the benchmarks and the goals that these players before set, the game is not as inspiring to the kids. I don't think it perks their imagination the same way when this stuff, now you go out and the, the, the children, there was one match. I prefer not to say, but there was one doubles match that lasted 12 minutes, 12 minutes, 12 minutes. They had a the shotgun start they at eight. It, they called it a match. An entire match. It was a match. It was, it, now it's one set. Started it at 5 p.m. They had a shotgun start. The Adam start. And it was over at 12 minutes and about 37 seconds. I couldn't believe it. But that's not the stuff that I don't think that's the stuff that, you know, you talk about your good bads and your bad. That's a, what is that, a bad good? <laughs> I suppose for the kids that won it in 12 minutes, they were ecstatic. And the kids that lost it, it's a bad thing. But it's not anything that's going to inspire. It's not anything that's going to attract more people to our sport, in my opinion, at least not to the higher levels. It's not the kind of stuff that sucks them up or drives them, or creates, you know, these great imaginings that, you know, a lot of the kids have, the dreams that they have, that, you know, and, it, it's, it, and that's all the stuff that keeps people going. I personally think that, and you may be able to, the, you know, when they try as hard as they can to perfect a match, right now they're working very hard. They'd love to be able to have a match. Uh, you, know, the, you know, they've got this magic they got this magic number. Somehow, somebody, somewhere in the athletics at the co- collegiate level, what is it? Is it is it two hours? Is it two and a half hours? What is the match? What is the perfect match time <laughs> for yeah, college yeah. tennis? <laughs> you know, well, that, uh, I think that perfection or that perfect tennis match that NOAD tends to lend itself to is going to become very boring. I think that you know, you know, you, you people relate it to volleyball, don't they? Don't they relate it to volleyball? Well, yeah, match I got a whole story like that in volleyball. About and they that say one it's, too. You know, I used to, <laughs> coach. I used to absolutely love the sport of volleyball. I would go watch it because, of course, the intrigue, the drama. No, the word is drama. The drama of having to prevent side outs. 
Like if you are, you know, if you're are trying to get a side out against the team and you only scored when you served, and the drama was incredible. But then they went to a thing called rally scoring, where you could score, you could score on the receiving end of the thing, which double dipped the value of the achievement. It double dipped it. You know, it, it's sort of like what they're doing. Another analogy might be: Could you imagine in football, if you throw a pass, if you score from more than 15 yards out, you got eight points or nine points. But if you ran it in from the five-yard line, you only get six points. So they're trying to load up. And in doing that, they basically prostitute the achievement. So has volleyball. Significantly, has it significantly improved volleyball's status? No. Women's volleyball? No, 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 no. No, no. They can now, you, might get, mad at, you might get mad at me, but you might – my wife played volleyball at Clemson. You might get mad at me for saying this, and I'm sorry. But, you know, the the they had a lady that was in charge of the NCAAs, and she was real upset, Donna Lopiano. She was very upset with the attire that the women volleyball teams in college wore. The fans loved it. The stands were filled. And she came no, along and said – are you talking about beach no, volleyball? No, this was college. Remember volleyball? the girls? Yeah, they, no, the girls were wearing they were wearing pretty short, know, coach, skippy coach, things. Don't be facetious, but oh, okay, well, don't let's not go too far in that direction. But well, we no, can be but, facetious. So the, the beach no, volleyball. They, they changed the attire, and they had them wearing shorts, and the attendance went down. They've gone back to wearing stuff that's pretty skin tight, uh, okay. and the tennis has gone up. <laughs> no, they, I mean, I mean, no, 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 no. Okay. it didn't. Coach, it didn't coach, fluctuate. Coach. It didn't coach. fluctuate. It didn't fluctuate. Look, it didn't fluctuate necessarily because of the. Uh, didn't fluctuate because of the score changing. That's not no, what caused it to fluctuate. It's not. Look, look I don't the, think the, it helps. Coach, I think uh, the no ad stuff, the perfection that it creates is going to end up boring people much more than it's ever going to get them excited. It does much me. More. It does me. I, I don't think that it's going great... to. Go ahead, Coach. I, I don't want to interrupt, but I can give you a great example. Um, right Shortly after they started doing no ad scoring and a 10-point tiebreaker for the third set on the ATP doubles tour, I was in Shanghai, and they were having a master series there. It was about 2008, nine, and somewhere in, I think it was 2008 I was in Shanghai. So they had the masters there. Now, here's the point. We got to watch singles matches and doubles matches. Folks, single, the singles matches that were played to completion, the drama, of course, packed the stadium, and it was the thing was extremely exciting, you know, the drama of, the uh, the long deuce ad games and, and the drama of first you have it then you don't and the the strategies and and you can have a small player who can dismantle a big hitter but then the doubles came out and they played the no ad and everybody says oh it's exciting that last point's so exciting no it's very boring it's sort of like 
riding a roller coaster the first time, it might be exciting. The second time, you say, ah, I'm used to it. Third time, eh, I'm over it. Let's go ride the Ferris wheel. And it, excitement dwindles with each occurrence. Drama intensifies with each denial. That's, and, and that's an important statement, Coach Weber, because people don't understand that the excitement, come on, don't even get on that train of trying to just make something more exciting uh, everybody's been to the circus 85 times and excitement dwindles. Now it, it's, it's gotta be more. There's gotta be more meat on the bone. There's gotta be more intrigue. There's gotta be more development. People have to see the depth of chess, not just a flash of, of checkers when, when they play tennis. So, uh, well, you know, I, uh, yeah, I've, I've said that I'll be irritated. I've said that I'd be very irritated with the next college coach that comes out and says, oh, that was a grueling match. <laughs> and it lasted. And we're going to be lost when that, when that happens, when somebody can come out. If you notice, nobody describes them that way anymore. You used to have, that was a grind. That was a, oh, that was a, that was an epic battle. You know, they, what they, a, they, <laughs> nobody's able to describe, you know, the things because they're two hour no. affairs for both singles and doubles. You know, thing is though, those, are, those things that happen, those epic battles, those epic, you know, dual matches between teams and things of that nature, they feed the legends of of, 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 of what happened in collegiate tennis. They feed uh, the next generation. They hear about these things. They're very, you know, the whole idea, I guess, about this losing these rites of passage and it not meaning much to Dr. Tim Russell is is terrible now maybe in 50 years he'll be able to redefine maybe in 50 years you'll see a a dual match where kalamazoo last you know kalamazoo's over on saturday and sunday you know they play it on saturday and sunday and some guy in the booth you know showing it on some you know obscure uh streamed uh conference television channel will talk about what the epic match but the problem is is it won't make sense to the kids who've heard the stories from their fathers and their father's fathers and things of this nature and that is not just generational it's from you know one age group to the next you hear great stories and this is what brings kids in 12 minute doubles matches aren't going to bring kids into the tournaments 12-minute doubles matches aren't going to bring kids into the sport. It's not going to inspire them. It's going to bore them. They're going to get yeah. bored with the sport, in my opinion. So that's I why I think agree. Can I... that they're losing the rights of passage. And if we lose the rights of passage, if we lose sight and we can't understand why these things are important, we're lost as a sport. We'll just continue we to are. go down. Darts will stay ahead of us. Curling, I got, curling I got will be I got ahead of us. <laughs> That's a good one, hurling. I had a couple players walk in the other day and say, Coach, why did I invest my life in her curling? You know, I said, they said, hurling? Yeah. They said, no, no, curling. I said, look, you don't have to be in shape. You don't have to do this. You don't have to. Come on, why did I invest my life? Well, I said, I think there's probably a lot more to it than meets the eye, but I don't see – What's in? But I want to make a big thing. You just talked about Kalamazoo. You know, Coach, year before last, who won Kalamazoo? Do you remember? Year before uh, last. Um, 
Five Even four last time. Five sets. I, you got me. You got me. You put me on spot. Francis Tiafo. Francis Tiafo won Kalamazoo in five sets. Yeah. A grueling battle. I guess what there was. Oh, what the heck's his name? Um, in well, I should. The boy. Bottom line is the rite of passage in winning Kalamazoo was a huge, huge thing. It was five sets. And you might have said, well, a two, two out of three would have done. No, a five-set rite of passage. And guess what? I remember Jay Berger, 1986, 85, 85, Kalamazoo, 1985. Jay Berger, he won the clay courts. Then he played Kalamazoo, and he won in four sets, I believe. I think he beat Woody Hunt. But Jay Berger went on. A month later, or not even that, about three weeks later, made the round of 16 at the U.S. Open men's. That rite of passage springboarded. Look at Francis Tiafo. He won his first two-tour event recently. Now, if you'd play no ad scoring and a 10-point tiebreaker at Kalamazoo, are you telling me it would have been the same rite of passage? If you think so, coaches out there, you are sadly mistaken. The value is diminished when it's easily earned it becomes very often as i said it becomes a bad good they become the champion but how is it diminished how, price. how is it it's diminished in the story it's diminished in the in the um in the stories afterward in the legends afterward now somebody even say, well that's just talk it's not just talk this is the stuff that kids dream about this is the stuff that you know you know how we got it when i was a kid Remember Bob Larson's junior in college tennis? And right. Send that little, he'd send out that little thing. Well, if you were a tennis player, you'd grab that when it came out, and you would open it up, First and you thing. would look yep. at the results of different tournaments. you want to see who – and he'd have the whole draw. It was the only place you could get – the only place you could get the whole Orange Bowl draw, or you could get the whole Kalamazoo draw. And you would look and you would see these epic matches. You would see McEnroe against this guy or this guy. And you would see all these things. This is the stuff that inspires. Now, just imagine 20 years from now, it's no longer Kalamazoo. It's Lake Nona or Lake Cabona. Lake Cabo- and I call it Lake Cabona. And it's, and it's, Lake Cabona. And it's two, it's two four-game sets, no ad, with a seven-point match tiebreak to decide the champion. I mean, I'm serious. They're, and they'd be real happy with that. And the people that – the problem is the people who are in charge of competition, who are in charge of the sport on that side of it, they don't recognize the importance of, you know, holding back some of these things that the marketeers want. I say to the marketeers, do all you want. Do all you want. Let's separate them, though. Let's separate the grow the game people from the uh, performance side, the player development side, and let's keep the player development doing what it is. Because right now you go down to these tournaments. It's a high-level Southern tournament past weekend in Macon. Kids are playing. they got several different locations for, for this around the South. And it's 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 – it's not about player development as much anymore. 
12 game, 12 no. minute doubles matches. And the tournament director would say, oh, we got to do this. We, we couldn't finish it if we, we couldn't do it. So they, you know, and, and everybody's using everybody. They're using each other for, you know, their benefit. They're using, you know, Andy, Andy Avram was there. And I love his son. I love the way his son plays. Well, Andy himself, again, one of the best competitors in the history of Atlantic Coast Conference tennis. The best competitor, uh, and uh, my gosh, what a wonderful now, human now being. Now we look at it, he looks great... at it. His son, his son played maybe a couple of double sets and two three-set matches. You know, that, that's now becoming a new epic. You know, and I'm not diminishing what he did. His son's very good. His son... I don't diminish it in any way, but what we're coming to know things as and what we're coming to know is changing and it doesn't bolster tennis in anybody's eye. I think it, I think it tends to diminish it. Now, if you don't know any better, I suppose it's fine. In other words, if you and I and the rest of these old timers would just get out of the way, Tim Russell could really do a number on tennis. If we would get out of okay, the way let's talk. and not be – and Tim Russell had, no, 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 real no, no, quick, no. real quick, he's part of a bigger group. There's a whole, you know, bunch of people out there who are all part of this effort. It's a big deal. Well, this is a big deal. The, whole, the overall effort, you see it in Davis here. Cup to college tennis and everything else. Go ahead, sorry. I want to go here uh, with where we're at. And, folks, this is where we need you to become a member of the American Tennis Patriots. Uh these guys, uh, I'm not. I, no, I am going to say we've got some of the wrong people in leadership positions. So, here is the argument I used to Mr. Tim Russell. Um, he's not Coach Tim Russell. He's a doctor, I guess, doctor of music, and he's in charge of the I Intercollegiate Tennis Coaches Association, a, a lobbyist group or a club for the. Uh, college tennis and uh, an association for college tennis. So in one of the first meetings, and they were discussing this, I raised my hand at an ITA meeting, and I go, okay, uh, Mr. Russell, Dr. Russell, I said, you're in music, correct? You're, he said, yes, I am. I said, well, thank you, because I, I love music more than anything else I do in, in outside of tennis in the world. I, I wish I was a great musician. I said, but, sir, I said, let's say I come to Arizona State or wherever you worked, and you're head of the department, and I say, you know, I came to learn the great classics, and, you know, I wanted to learn, uh, you know, the Chopins and the Beethovens and the Mozarts and the Litz and uh, and, uh, all of the great, great Haydn and all of the great musicians and learn the differences and study that. And let's say the curriculum was, though, look, we're going to do jazz or rap or rock music, or we're going to do these things because they're popular and they will bring more people into the music department and make it more popular. I would be somewhat Because, gosh, it's, very, it's not real popular. Do you see it's the correlation? Classical music is not real popular. Correct, it's not. But, however, <laughs> do you see the correlation I'm making? What they're trying to do is going with 
They're trying to go with the quick fix with tennis popularity and participation over the countering the game, and they're dismantling it. They're dismantling it, and, see, and there's no doubt about see, it. See, I don't think there's many people that see the full picture. I think he does. I think he allowed himself. He's good you friends with Jim does? Ruskin. And he and Jim, yeah, he I think Jim Ruskin is a good friend of his. Sees the big, okay. okay, go ahead. He sees the big picture that the USTA wants to be seen. They, he sees the picture in their minds in general. They would like to see all of competition and they got to do it across the board. You understand that? It doesn't work if they do it. This is why college tennis was so important for them to get that domino to fall. They needed college tennis to fall, so now they can get junior tennis in line. Next, they're going to work on the Davis Cup. They're going to have the Davis Cup. They're going to have it all completed in one week. It's up. This is done it all in one week. The whole it'll be a round robin and done in one week. I mean, it's it's it's, and of course. You can't play three out of five sets and finish it in one week. But now they've got to shorten it, right? They've got to make it happen in, you know, two out of three sets with a 10-point match tie break. Now, if the other bozos around the world let Haggerty do this, shame on them. Shame on them. And Haggerty is going to ruin. He's going to ruin. And what he doesn't realize that he does, there's court, there's collateral or corollary or there's collateral damage collateral stuff damage, like this yeah. sure it works great yeah it'll be a week you'll get together in new york all the teams from around the world will come and they'll play this round robin as a team toward the end of the year it'll be super it'll be this but the corollary or the collateral damage that'll come from this will you know it'll destroy the davis cup it will not become more popular it'll become more popular maybe at that particular place it does. U.S. Open at that, at, 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 where it is right now in New York and how it is right now, the U.S. Open itself is a very popular sporting event. But it's not uh, it's not part of a larger, you know, bigger picture of, you know, people loving tennis in the United States. It itself is, is grown. So maybe the Davis Cup in and of itself would grow a little bit, but I think in the long run it would hurt tennis over uh, span let me tell of you how. years. Let me tell you how. As of when, as I lived in Southeast Asia uh, and I traveled around Southeast Asia, I can tell you that the Davis Cup around the world and the different groups, most of these these countries, whether it was Thailand, Myanmar, Indonesia, India, all. All the reason tennis exists and the reason tennis works is because of the Davis Cup. The ultimate is to play Davis Cup for your country, and guess what? When the Davis Cup comes to for the region or whatever the group is comes to your country, it is a huge, huge event. I watched David, Australia play Thailand in Bangkok in 2009, I believe, for Davis Cup or 10, I forget the year. But it was a huge event to have uh, Leighton Hewitt there, a huge event to play in Bangkok for the country of Thailand. And the point being, if they take the, 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 uh, you know, the, the, the Davis Cup uh, away and the Fed Cup and those things away, and they change the format, they bring everybody together, Lake Kabona. 
you know, if they bring everybody together, it might be a big event there. But guess what happens to all of the surrounding countries? There's no longer a reason to have David, Davis Cup or have great players there. So now you're just killing well, yourself. These are made – these marketing ideas are just absurd. They are absurd. Go a little bit more specific. Go back to our, our – our, or my – this whole thing about the rights of passion and why it's so important. Look – if you look at a specific match, you look. There's a legendary story, and it created a hero. The hero was Stan Smith. He goes into what Romania? They play a Davis Cup match Romania. Romania. Ilya Nastasi, it's still remembered. <laughs> Ilya yes, Nastasi, yes. and and you have you have the bad guy Ilya Nastasi, the long hair, and Tiriak running around rubbing out marks on the court. Uh, the officials are against him, and somehow our heroes prevail. Dan Smith prevailed, Stan Smith, yes. right? Yes. And, yes. and so it created our hero. It created the story. It created the legend. We traveled to Romania with a team and played there and prevailed. And in that, you get the standard that you go forward with in the, in the story and the legend and everything else that goes with it that makes it so that kids are inspired. People are inspired. Young players are inspired. They tell these great stories. I just don't think that it's going to work the same when you now go and tell a story you can never tell me again I don't want to hear it coach I don't want to hear somebody talk about one of these college matches that you guys play as being epic I don't want to hear it be and I don't want to hear it described as an epic battle I was involved in epic battles I was involved in epic battles there at Clemson I was involved in epic battles there at Furman I was involved in epic battles in a variety of places there's no more epic battles I don't want to hear it the no-ad stuff and the two-hour matches for television, that's not epic. And so the stories no. will go away. Tragic. And the inspiration will go away. And the imag- imagine the imagination of a young kid who hears for the first time. He looks at the newsreels, and he, and he sees this. Some do and some don't, but just imagine the imagination that perks in the kids to hear how Stan Smith prevailed there in Romania against the – you know, the Tyriacs, and in a Tyriac, you know, what a legendary figure he was. And Nastasi, legendary. This stuff, you know, it's a quintessential good guy versus the bad guy. It's a quintessential prevailing over all the odds. And, and, and Stan Smith still kept his great sportsmanship, right? And all of that. I mean, that, that, this, is what, this is what stuff is made of. This is not what we're going to have going forward when we take things and shorten it up to 12-minute doubles matches for the little kids. My it's opinion. The diamond versus the rhinestones. The diamonds yeah. versus the rhinestones. The real diamonds that last forever versus the rhinestones that are very cheap and discarded uh, very easily. As my mother used to say, son, the world promises you buckets of rhinestones, but God will give you the chance to make one diamond with your life. How fantastic that the words. Clarence Mabry, 1981, the diamond that he threw out to the crowd listening. I was a young coach in my starting on my career. I heard the great Clarence Mabry give a talk, and he said to I, somebody asked him, what's the most important quality of a championship tennis player? He said, most definitely the hunger of an inquisitive mind. You must search for answers on your own. It must be hard-earned, 
and then it's 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 very much appreciated if it will be hard earned. Those diamonds are legendary. They're legendary. And if you ask Stan Smith, Coach Weber, what is the biggest match he ever played in history, he'll probably point to his Wimbledon championship beating Nastasi. But I guarantee he'll go back to the legendary Brave match we all read about when they went into that time into communist Romania. Uh, I think the Iron Curtain, yeah, was still up. And they went in there and they fought all, every, everything possible. It was it was such a huge, it was as big as the 1980 Olympics that uh, where we won. Well, the, oh, these uh, little gold stories, medal. these little stories, these little rites of passages, these little myths, all of this are very important to sustaining the sport, and we can't tear it. We cannot tear the fabric of all this stuff away. And I know this sounds like a – I can see some guys rolling their eyes and saying, this is a bunch – No, 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 not at all. There's people nodding their heads out there listening to the show today. Believe me. Yeah. Believe me. And we've got hundreds of people listening now too. So it's – it's uh, Well. You know, it, it's uh, – you're right on base. Right on base. So you got your 10 – you got your 10 – you got your flyer that you hand out American Tennis. And that, that thing's got 10 – I, I would submit to you that, that this is probably one of the most important one reasons. When we start diminishing what a tennis match is and tearing it apart, we're going to also have collateral damage, and it's going to be the sport itself. It's going to become – the perfection of no ad is going to become boring. It's going to be, become the diminishment of the value of uh, – Well, that match – It'll, you know, it'll be no – You know, the match between – the Roddick and Federer match, a timeless match, timeless. You know, there's matches yeah. that will be timeless. This all stuff, everything's going to be put in a – what is the perfect – I mean, there is a perfect time, right? In college tennis, they want it done in two yeah. hours and a half. Is that what yeah. it is? Yeah. Two and a half hours. Oh, God, and then they can package know. it for ABC and CBS and NBC. Uh, and then uh, who's going to care because those stations. Tennis will be a long, around a lot longer if they wouldn't mess with it, then, then it could ever be. And, and uh, all of you, we only got a minute or so here, Coach. Uh, I want to ask all of you, join American Tennis Patriots, chuckcreasy at gmail.com. Um, Coach Weber, I just wanted one quick comment. My son's in baseball. You know, he stays up at night and looks at his old baseball cards of all of the history's games, whether it was Sandy Koufax or – or, uh, you know, Mickey Mantle or, oh, my gosh, Bobby Richardson. We've got Bobby Richardson's book and, oh, my God, the history. And, and, fo- and guys, and, and JP, this is what we're stripping from our children in the future if we do what you said. And last word there, Coach, and, and uh, then we got to cut off. I don't want to hear epic anymore. I don't want to hear an epic battle from any of the guys, <laughs> and they can't say it. If they say yep, it, then yep. shame on them. Uh, I, I, I hear you. And, no, no, no. Brilliantly stated, brilliantly presented, and folks, uh, reach Coach J.P. Weber at, what is it, J.P. Tennis at, what? what is your email, Coach? Real Coach. J.P. at TennisDynamics.net. J.P. at TennisDynamics.net. J.P. at and it's brilliant. Go to Laurel Park, and I, I don't know if I can give a big plug there. 
where where you're at. But bottom line, find Coach J.P. Weber in Marietta, Georgia. This is one of the most brilliant men out there, and he, you can see his heart. He loves the sport of tennis, and, and Coach, we love you for coming on. God bless you, Coach, and please God bless you. Thank you, Coach. Opinions stated by various contributors to the UR Tennis Network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the UR Tennis Network. Participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions. All information, products, and services offered by the UR Tennis Network are for personal use only. The UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network. Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.